A very good morning to you. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we lead this church. And if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, we started, we've been, we've been spending Lent. We're in the season of Lent and we've been spending Lent digging into the book of 1 um, Corinthians. And we started a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at the cross. Last week we looked at the gospel. And over the next few weeks, what I want us to do is take a look at the resurrection. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll start from verse 12. Hopefully the words should appear. Yeah, there you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be uh, false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our heart to see you more, to understand you more, to know you more. Come fill us with your Holy Spirit and have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, if you remember my back, back at the beginning of the chapter, Paul kicks off uh, this whole thing with uh, talking about the gospel. And uh, last week, if you were here, you'll recall that we said that the gospel is essentially the story of God's saving work in Christ Jesus. And what we did last week is we broke the gospel down into kind of five um, acts or five uh, phases, five scenes. And it started with creation. And then we touched on uh, the fall. And then we talked about the story of Israel. Then we talked about the life of and ministry of Jesus, and then finally we, we touched on new uh, creation. And all of that, all those five bits, that's all the gospel. All of that is the good news of God's saving work in Christ Jesus. But for Paul, the gospel centers around uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what resurrection means, uh, the primary meaning of the empty tomb, which we celebrate over Christmas, uh, 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 Christmas, Easter, God, just checking that you're even with me, um, 
The primary meaning of Easter and the empty tomb uh, is basically that the fifth and final act, that, that, that phase, that act of new creation is here. Jesus' resurrection, what it does is it ushers in the new creation. His resurrection, his coming back from the dead, what it does is it drags in a future age and it, it drags that future age into this present age and it opens up a whole new world of possibilities right into the middle of this one. So let's uh, dig into um, this whole chapter. Chapter 15 is basically all about resurrection. It's all about this uh, new creation. Let's just pick up back in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And you see, basically what was happening, the Corinthians were saying, you know what, I'm not sure about all this resurrection of the dead stuff. I don't know, I don't know what I think about that. They're kind of scratching their heads, not sure. Um, Before we unpack where all of that comes from, the word resurrection in Greek, the word resurrection right throughout the New Testament, um, pretty much everywhere in fact, it doesn't mean going to heaven when you die. That's not what it's talking about. Resurrection doesn't mean, you know, that your spirit lives on, you know, sitting on a cloud off somewhere, strumming a harp and singing, you know, amazing grace for eternity. That's not, disappointingly maybe for some of you, what it means. The word resurrection always means coming back from the dead. Coming back from the dead in a physical, um, corporeal body, you know, flesh and bone. That's what resurrection is all about. And so when we say that Jesus is back from the dead, he is risen, right? And, and that doesn't mean that his spirit is kind of living on like a butterfly or something. We, what we mean when we talk about resurrection is we're saying the tomb is empty. The body is gone and Jesus is back in his body, in flesh, in blood, walking, talking, eating, drinking, kind of all the usual physical stuff, right? Now, the Corinthians, whilst they may believe in Jesus' resurrection, and whilst they might believe in um, some kind of concept of life after death in a place that they may call heaven, uh, what they haven't really grasped is what happens after what we tend to think of as heaven, what the Bible calls resurrection. When we return to the earth and God brings um, our bodies back up out of the grave and we live in an actual physical body here again with God on earth forever. The Corinthians, they just don't really buy that. They don't really get that. And, and here's sort of maybe one of the reasons why. The Corinthians, they were living at the center of the Greco-Roman culture. The principal thinking, all their ideology was based on the teaching of the uh, Greek philosophers like Plato. And so they believed basically that there was like a material world. Absolutely, there's a material world and there's an immaterial world. And basically Plato is saying... The material stuff, all matter, all material stuff, that's, you know, that's not good, right? That's uh, not good. Your body is no good. The world is no good. Like pleasure, like um, food and drink and sex, these are all bad because they're sort of physical pleasures. The immaterial, on the other hand, what he 
sort of referred to as the soul, well, that is different. That's very good, right? And that's all that really matters. According to Plato, your body, your physical body, is just a prison for your immaterial self, your soul. And so for Plato uh, and other thinkers like him, the real you is, uh, is that kind of immaterial you. And Plato says that what happens at death is your soul, this real you, is set free from your body, the, the prison of your body, and it, it goes up into some kind of non-bodily, spiritual, otherworldly bliss, which we might think of as heaven uh, to live happily ever after, forever and ever, amen. And we kind of maybe listen to that and say, well... Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Um, The answer to which, by the way, um, is a very emphatic no. That's not what the Bible teaches. But um, a lot of us, Christians included, we're we're a little bit confused about what we actually believe happens uh, when we die. What do we actually believe about life after death? And what the Corinthians are saying is there's no resurrection. What they're saying is, when you die, you go to some heavenly bliss up in the sky or wherever it is, and that's the end of the story. Well, Paul is about to go to war with that kind of thinking. Have a look at verse 13. He starts off verse 13, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead then, and then um, he kind of unpacks that. And basically what he's doing, he's saying, okay, let's just suppose for a moment that you're right. Let's just suppose that what Plato says is right. You know, you have life after death, you have heaven or whatever it is you want to call it, and that's the end of the story. There's eternity sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? No resurrection. And what he does is he points out the ramifications of where that kind of thinking takes us as followers of Jesus. And what he does is he outlines seven things, starting in verse 13. We're just going to look at those very quickly. First off, he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so what that means is the resurrection of Jesus is therefore a myth, which means that therefore Jesus is, putting it bluntly, dead. That's the first thing. The second thing in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. You might say preaching is useless, irrespective of Christ's resurrection, but so is your faith. Okay, so secondly, your faith in the gospel is useless if Christ hasn't been raised. It's a waste of time. You're wasting your time. And then in verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. And what he's saying there is that Paul's saying that that himself and all the early eyewitnesses to the resurrection, they're all liars, including myself, including Paul. And then uh, in verses 16 and 17, it says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Again, it's all empty. It's all meaningless. It's all a waste of time. You're wasting your time, which means in verse 17, you're still in your sins. If Christ hasn't been raised, that means we're still separated from God. Because, you see, if we deny the future, if we deny the end of the story of the gospel, because everything goes together, in so doing, what we're doing is we're denying the beginning of the gospel, we're denying the past, we're denying the cross, therefore we can't be right with God, therefore we are still separated from God and we're still in our sins. 
And then look at verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Uh, and what that means is that those who've already died, that they are, they are gone. There is no hope for new life. It's all over. End of story. And then lastly in verse 19 he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And he's basically saying that way of thinking is just pitiable. If you think like that, if you believe that, we're the most pitiful creatures on the planet. So Paul is clearly has strong opinions about the resurrection. Okay, To Paul, the resurrection of the dead, not only Jesus' resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus, the future resurrection of um, all those who follow Jesus. He's saying this isn't like an added extra. This isn't like something that theologians can pontificate about and call eschatology or whatever it is that they want. For Paul, he's saying this is right at the very center in the heart of the gospel. And he's saying to deny the future, to deny God's plan, to deny the future resurrection of all those who follow Jesus, he's saying that's tantamount to denying the whole of the gospel. Because in so doing, what we're doing is we're denying the resurrection of all followers of Jesus. Therefore, by implication, we're denying the resurrection of Jesus. And the gospel rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Because if archaeologists find Jesus' body in a tomb in Palestine, um, it's all over. Like, I'm out of a job. Like, um, what we're doing here is all a charade. This, what is this? This is just all farcical. It's just... A joke. But here's the good news. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And basically, what he's saying is that by the grace of God, Corinthians, you've got it wrong. Jesus is back from the dead. Therefore, one day, all followers of Jesus will come back from the dead. Which is very good news. And what he does here is he unpacks what he means with that. Have a look at verses 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And what Paul's doing here is he's paralleling Adam and Jesus. And there's a whole lot of background here and we just don't have time to go into it all right now. But the short version is this. Because of one human's sin and death. Because of Adam's sin and as a result of that his death. Now all who are in Adam, uh, meaning pretty much everyone who's ever been born, we're all now born into Adam's sin and Adam's consequent death. Uh, you know, death and taxes, these things are inevitable. Everybody knows, guaranteed, 100%, everybody sins and everybody dies, right? 100% guaranteed. And Paul says that's because you have been born into Adam. You've been born into his sin and into his death. But, and this is a really important but, Paul's saying that now the same thing is true because of Jesus. Because of one human's resurrection and life, because of Jesus' resurrection and life now all who are in jesus um now not all we need to be careful with that word all all doesn't mean all humans on the planet it means all who are in christ jesus because of jesus resurrection and life all who are in christ jesus are now stepping into that resurrection and that life okay over and over again through paul's writings he says you are in christ 
Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are in Christ. And what that means is that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you and me as followers of Jesus. Well, Jesus is back from the dead. And what that means is that one day, at some point in time, you too will come back from the dead because you are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and here's what he says. Have a look at verse 23. But each in turn... Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, that's talking about Jesus when he comes back, the second coming, uh, when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul says that um, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is, is only the beginning. There's like so much more to come. And what happens is that Jesus' resurrection has set into motion a whole chain of events that just can't be undone. One day, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus will be followed by first one and then ten and then a thousand and then billions of people who follow Jesus. What happened to Jesus on the third day when he was raised from the dead will one day happen to all followers of Jesus. So hold on. Uh, Are you saying that one day my body post-mortem will come back up out of the grave. Yes, 100%. That's the crystal clear teaching of the scriptures. That's the future of the gospel. And if that sounds strange to us, if that all sounds a bit weird, it's probably because we live with a worldview that is really the byproduct of a little bit of Paul and a lot of Plato. Now, While we're here, just because I thought I'd punish myself miserably and brutally, and therefore all of you at the same time, um, let's dig in, because we're here in 1 1 Corinthians 15. Let's dig into this a little bit more. This is one of the longest chapters um, in the entire Bible on eschatology, on on, on the future, on resurrection and new creation. it's, It's all here. It's a long chapter. But do you notice that Paul doesn't use the word heaven once? He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't really mention heaven. His entire, entire chapter is, is all about what's to come in the future. And he, he's not really talking about what we would normally familiarly know and refer to as heaven, which I, I think is quite interesting. So I thought I'd dig into that a little bit more because what else do you talk about on a Sunday morning? Um, you know, there are different words. We, we, ha- we understand different things when we use the word heaven. Uh, in English, there are different words in the Bible to describe heaven and what that means. Um, but there are kind of three principal ones that I want to look at this morning. Uh, two of them are in the Bible, and one of them sort of isn't really. And the first meaning that we have for the word heaven is kind of like the sky, you know, like outer space, the universe, the cosmos, or whatever. You know, think of Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there, the word heaven, it means, you know, sky, um, universe, cosmos, sun, moon, stars, all of that. You know, the stuff that we look up at every day and beyond, okay? Uh, That's the first meaning of the word heaven. The second meaning of the word heaven, which you find right throughout the Bible, is um, heaven as God's dwelling place. Heaven as God's dwelling place. It's this invisible world of God's dominion and his rulership it's the it's the place if you can call it that where god rules where god reigns where god's will is done heaven is this place where god is in control and it's not 
here on earth quite yet, in case you hadn't noticed in all its fullness. Um, and that's because we can still see that there is lots of evil, there's lots of war, there's lots of poverty, there's lots of oppression, there's lots of injustice raging around in this world in which we find ourselves, which suggests that heaven hasn't come to earth in all its fullness. But we do see expressions of heaven. We do see uh, expressions of God's will, of God's rule and God's reign, God's kingdom. We can see that all over the place. Uh, Every time somebody is prayed for and they get healed uh, every time one of us remembers to uh, serve somebody around us and extend the kingdom to them um, when we buy a keep cup and uh, think about the environment these are small tangible expressions of the kingdom uh, of heaven coming to earth but at the same time as we know our will mankind's will and the the will of the enemy is battling is vying against the will of god which is why we see so much brokenness and devastation, sickness and death all around us. But heaven is a place where God's will is done, where God is in control, where God is on the throne. And there are two meanings of heaven that we find in the Bible. There's another one that we kind of use and we think of, and maybe we use it ourselves, um, and it's sort of, we use it to refer to the place where we, um, we go when we die and we will be there forever. You know, it's, um, it's the place where we think of as being like the interminable church service in the sky. You know, Matt Redman or Tim Hughes, probably James, will be there leading us in worship forever. Um, and uh, lots of our friends who aren't Christians are terrified about the prospect of going there because they think it sounds so interminably dull, do you see? And secretly, most of us think that too, right? We're like, I can't wait to get to heaven. Oh, it's going to be so boring, like... How many times can we sing that song? I can, can't even cope with like 20 minutes a year. Like eternity singing. I've got a really bad voice. Anyway, that's number three. Heaven is this place where we go when we die for eternity. That's not actually in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible talks all the time about where and how we will live with God forever. But the Bible never really calls that heaven. You see, somehow in our thinking, heaven has become this sort of place. It's sort of somewhere else. You know, it's not here, obviously, and it's not like here, fortunately, which is why we call it heaven. But that's not really how the Bible describes God's future. And here's the difference between what a lot of us may think and what the Bible actually teaches. To put it as crudest, sometimes we think of life as sort of like a two-step process. Uh, This is crass, I know, but just bear with me. Um, You have life here on earth, in the body, that's this thing, hopefully, we're still there, and life, this life, is followed by life after death in heaven, if you kind of believe in the story of God and the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. But if that's the end of the story, like it is for a lot of people, we're we're missing the point, We're, we're actually missing the main event. Which is why, you know, when we say, we say someone, when someone dies, we say, oh, you know, they've gone home to be with Jesus. You know, it sort of sounds like we're saying, that's not a bad thing to say, right? But it sort of sounds like we're saying that home, our permanent domicile, is, is, is somewhere else. 
And, and whether we realize it or not, that's actually saying a lot about what we believe about theology, about what we believe about humanity, what we believe about redemption, what we believe about what the Bible actually teaches, what we believe about the redemption and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, I came across this quote by N.T. Wright. What is that? I didn't write it down. It's, I think it's the next slide. Maybe not. Next one. Oh, no. Wait. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Sorry. Next one, 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 next one. Have you missed all of this? All this amazing stuff I've spent ages doing. Like I was up all night. Oh, why do I bother? I'm going to start preaching facing this way. Next, please. Next, you're doing an amazing job. You're amazing. I'm so grateful. Oh, look at this. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Next one. That's awesome. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. Ha! Ha! This is N.T. Wright on um, heaven. Heaven is the place where God's purposes, pay attention, heaven is the place where God's purposes for the future are stored up. It isn't where they are meant to stay so that one would need to go to heaven to enjoy them. It's where they're kept safe against the day when they will become a reality on earth. If I say to a friend, I've kept some beer in the fridge for you, that doesn't mean to say that he has to climb into the fridge in order to drink the beer. I knew you'd like that. The scriptures, thank you, you're a legend on that talk. I'm so grateful. To, I am so grateful to you. You are, a le- you are a legend. You know that. Like, I mean that most sincerely. He is a legend. He keeps phoning up, he keeps phoning up all the, the laptop operators and saying, can I do next week? Because he just wants to serve. Because he's an absolute legend. Um, the scriptures actually teach that the story of our lives isn't a two-step thing it's a three-step thing first we have life that this thing in a body here on earth in this beautiful but broken world and life is hard and it all starts off hard and it starts with lots of pain and blood and tears and not much changes after that and it's hard Uh, there's sorrow and there's grief and there's heartbreak and there's joy Um, but after all of that you die Uh, welcome to church inspirational teaching 101 and then Life is followed by step two, life after death. And at death, when our bodies literally cease to function, we we step into, we enter into God's presence where we are with God, where that place, that concept, that space, where God's rule and his reign are at work. But this is the important bit. That's not the end of the story. And I sometimes wonder whether in our thinking, even if we didn't articulate it, we sometimes think that that's the end of the story. All of that is followed by what the Bible calls resurrection, what the Bible calls new creation. Or N.T. Wright, in a fantastic book, if you want to dig into this a little more, a fantastic book on the whole subject is N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Very, very accessible, very, very helpful. But what he calls life after life after death. Life after life after death, resurrection, or what happens after what we think of as heaven. You see, when we die, our our bodies, our humanity, it's, if you've ever watched somebody die, I mean, sometimes people die peacefully. Often, death is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. There is a, there is a wrenching a part of a physical body and ourselves. And our body, which according to the scriptures, peace with our good friend Plato, um, our body 
is actually a fundamental part of who we are. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not the prison of our soul. Made in the image of God, it's precious. And at the point of death, our body, our physical body is torn apart, wrenched apart, and then it's laid into the ground or it's cremated and our ashes are scattered or whatever it is. And in that very same moment, this is why when you witness the death of somebody, it's like the witnessing the birth of, of a child. It's this holy, holy moment. How anybody witnesses a birth or a death and doesn't believe in God, I have no idea. Um, because at the moment of death, literally at that point, at the very same moment, if you know and love Jesus, your spirit, and by that I mean that immaterial part of yourself, enters into God's presence. Where you wait until step three, which is resurrection. And resurrection is that moment where your spirit returns with Jesus to the earth. And in a miraculous move of the creator God, he resurrects your body out of the ground or pulls your scattered fragments from the four winds, wherever they've been cast into some lake or mountainside or beautiful parkland or whatever. And he pulls you out of the ground or he pulls you back from the four winds and he smashes you back together and reunites your spirit and remakes you into the person that God had originally always intended for you to be. And you live with God forever and you live and rule with God forever here on earth. Here on earth. And that part, that future in the Bible is never once really described as heaven. Not, not really. You know, um, we haven't got time to go into it now. We'll look at more. We're going to look more about what that future age looks like next week. And then the week after that, we'll look at what our bodies might look like. I've put in an order. Um, but here's some of the language that the Bible uses to talk about the future. Isaiah calls it he calls it, Isaiah calls it the new heavens and the new earth. These, these things to coming together, right? Um, Jesus calls it the renewal of all things. John calls it eternal life. Uh, in Ephesians 1, Paul calls it the age to come. Other places, Paul calls it the kingdom of God. In Acts 3, Peter calls it the time for God to restore everything. That's how the Bible talks about the future. Now, the problem with this kind of three-step thing is that much of the preaching and the teaching and the worship coming from the church about the future is still kind of focused on step two life after death you know amazing grace when we've been there ten thousand years bright shining like the sun we've no less years to sing we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun really really lovely terrible terrible theology It's all focused on this kind of step to life after death thing that we call heaven. And, and it's not that that doesn't exist. not that, that that place when we go and we die doesn't exist. It does. We believe all of that. But in the scriptures, the emphasis isn't on that bit of phase, you know, phase two. The emphasis is all about, because the Bible doesn't really say very much about stage two. The Bible is talking all about the future. That's where its emphasis is. And that's where our emphasis should be theologically in our liturgy, in our worship, in everything that we think. 
the focus throughout the Bible is all on what happens after what we think of as heaven. The, the focus of the scriptures is all on resurrection and on new creation. The, the reality is the Bible actually says very, very little about what happens to us when we die, like in that moment. The phrase, will I go to heaven when I die, isn't bad per se, but it's not really found anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> The Bible doesn't call the place or what happens immediately after death heaven. It doesn't start touching on that or even referring to that until the book of Revelation, which is like right at the end of the story, right? And uh, right at the last book of the Bible, it starts referencing that. Now, here's the really short version. In chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Revelation, you can read that before you get to bed tonight. Um, You get glimpses. John sees into this invisible world where God is on the throne. This is the place of God's rule and his reign, his dominion, his kingdom. And in chapter 4, the scene opens and and God is on the throne and all of heaven is around God's throne in worship. And in order for us to make sense of what's really going on, certainly in the early chapters of Revelation, we need to understand that it's actually not so much about the future. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 at least are actually all about the present. What we read in Revelation 4, 5, and 6 isn't about what's going to happen in the future one day. When we read chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Revelation, we are reading about what is happening right now as we speak in that place where God's rule and reign exists, in that invisible reality of God's kingdom. Maybe it's far away, maybe it's really close by, I have absolutely no clue, but what I do know is that's what's going on right now. You know when we say we join in with the angels, you know we sing that song, like we join in with the angels, that's what's going on right now. It's a pretty weird verse, but it's Revelation after all. Have a look at um, chapter 6 verse 9. It says this, is that up there? Oh no, I'll make it up. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can look to it. Um, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. When he, Jesus, okay, this is all about Jesus opening all the seals. Um, okay. when, when he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw, un- this is John, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they'd maintained. The martyrs, basically. They'd been faithful to the word of God and they got killed for it at some point in the past. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, which is where we get all that kind of Swedish, like stylish heaven garb from. And uh, they were told to wait a little longer until the, I don't get this bit, but until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Awesome. Okay, here's a little glimpse into God's kingdom, what's going on right now, okay? And here's John, he's seeing those who've been martyred for their faith. And and to all intents and purposes, they're pretty dead to you and me. Um, But they don't sound, they they don't come across as being very dead right now. Physically, yes, but they're just not just doing nothing. What are they doing? Well, alongside all of the worship and the holy, 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 holy of chapters 4 and 5, they are calling out to God in a loud voice saying, How long, sovereign Lord? That's pretty hard to do if you're deceased. And then each of them is given a white robe. Okay. And then what happens? What happens in verse 11? They are told to wait a little longer. 
Okay, I don't know about you, but that kind of throws a bit of a spanner into the works of what I thought that phase two bit of heaven was like. Okay, so there's worship, you know, that part I get. I, I kind of guessed that that was going on. Um, but they're also crying out, how long, sovereign Lord? And they're looking down from heaven. Uh, they're looking from heaven, okay? Um, and they're seeing the injustice of the earth. And they're seeing the violence and they're seeing the sex trafficking and they're seeing the wars and the corruption and the poverty and, and, and. And they are crying out and they're saying, how long, oh God, until you judge the world? And, just a pause, we have to remember here that this concept, this idea of judgment or judge doesn't necessarily mean what we might think it may mean. Okay? And a judge here means to put right How long, O Lord, until you put the world back to rights? How long, O God, they are saying, until you take this world with all of its brokenness and you put it back together again as you intended? And what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say, for goodness sake, look, you guys, you got martyred. I mean, haven't you been through enough? You know, take it easy, relax. You're in heaven. Take a walk in the clouds. Just chill. Jesus doesn't say that. That's not what's said, verse 11. To the people in heaven, Jesus says, wait. 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 Resurrection is coming. Wait. New creation is coming. Wait. That's how the Bible talks. Now, don't get me wrong. This place of life after death, you know, this is a place of immense joy. It's pretty hard having a bad day in God's presence. But it's also a place where we cry out i mean from what we can see here we cry out and we wait for what's coming after heaven that's where our hope should be that's where our heart should be that's where our focus should be what comes after what we think of as heaven our heart and our focus and our hope should be in and around and on the resurrection on new creation but this is kind of basically all we really get about life life after death Right? You know, unless I'm missing something, it's pretty much all the Bible kind of has to say on what happens to us when we die. On the other hand, the Bible has a lot to say about life after life after death. What happens after what we think of as heaven. The Bible has got a lot to say about resurrection and what that resurrection looks like, what that new creation looks like in all its fullness. And we'll look at that next week. But just for now to finish it it has nothing to do with an eternity sitting on a cloud dressed in white strumming a harp sorry to disappoint you imagine um fresh air in your lungs Uh, imagine dirt under your fingernails food on your tongue a glass of fine wine in your hand Imagine a future where we'll be building and making and shaping and tending and creating and co-laboring with God and with one another in what will be God's new Eden on earth. Resurrection life, life after life after death is all about eating and drinking and being with friends and feasting and loving and relating well and creating and singing and worshipping and living in God's presence for eternity. 
We're selling it so short. We're missing such richness that nothing less is the hope of the gospel. Why don't you stand?